Hey, this is Lee Snow, the preacher for the Warm Springs Road Church of Christ here in Columbus, Georgia. And you have found our podcast. We hope that this message inspires you, that it equips you, and that it builds your faith in Jesus Christ like never before. If you have any questions or you want to tell us your story, we'd love to hear from you. Please feel free to reach out at any time. We are here for you. We're here for each other. Most importantly, we're here for the Lord. open up to Acts chapter 6, if you want, Acts chapter 6. We're going to spend uh, the next few weeks in Acts 6 and 7, um, talking about Stephen and, and so forth. But today we're going to cover Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through, um, 1 through 7. In the 1970s, there was a church in Dallas that... Um, had what has become probably one of the most talked about, the most covered by the media church splits in at least the last century. Um, it was, it was, it was a, a, a rather small church in Dallas, um, and they started disagreeing with one another, and eventually it got to the point where some people said, well, you know, maybe you just need to leave. And the other group said, well, maybe you need to leave. And so it got so bad that they ended up taking out uh, lawsuits against each other. The groups did. And when they got in front of the, um, the judge that was going to try the case, um, the judge threw it out and essentially said, you need to decide this amongst yourselves. Well, this particular church was, was part of, of a denomination. And so um, the judge said, you need to allow your decision-making body to decide this. And this isn't something that the courts need to handle. And so it went through their decision-making process and so forth. And eventually it got down to where um, one side was awarded the church building and and the other side went around the corner, about a half mile away, and built another building and started worshiping there and joined the same denominational body, which just goes to show you part of the problem with that. But anyways, and uh, eventually the, the leadership of that group decided, we want to know why this church split so that maybe we could fix that problem so it doesn't happen again in the future. So they started doing some research. They went to both sides. They, they talked it out. Usually in a situation like this, there's always three stories. There's your story, my story, and then the actual story that really did happen and not the one that's clouded by my upsetness or your upsetness. So they, they, they finally narrowed it down to, get ready for this. This is a big theological problem. Are you ready? See, this church had had a fellowship meal the year earlier. One of the elders was sitting next to a young boy. And um, the young boy was given a piece of ham. And the elder was given a smaller piece of ham. And eventually, that resulted in the church splitting and another church being founded right around the corner. You laugh. And some, some of you laugh. Some of you, you know, you're, you're appalled at the, the nature of how ridiculous this could be. However, 
In 2011, my very, very good friend, you know, have you ever noticed that that phrase, my good friend, is used all the time with people that you don't, you don't even know? Now, this is my good friend so-and-so. I took a picture with him one time, so now, anyway, this guy's really my good friend. In fact, I was, about six months before this, I was helping him, he was a student with me, I was helping him drive his car um, to the other side of Memphis because uh, he needed to get some, some warranty replacement on it. And so I was driving the Sequoia, and he was driving his van. And um, I, this guy's my friend so much that I was in a head-on collision for him. The car just drove, the guy was working at FedEx, fell asleep, drove across and hit me head-on. And Anyways, not that big of a deal. But, but Sean O'Brien's one of my best friends. But about six months after that, um, he was preaching in a small church in northern Memphis. And um, Monday he came back and he said, well, I guess I'm not preaching there anymore. I said, what, what happened? He said, well, we've been fighting over a doctrinal problem, pretty, pretty heavy doctrinal problem. All of us kind of knew that this church was going through it, and Sean was trying to lead them through it, and it was, it was getting pretty bad. And uh, the day before, they showed up, and the doors were locked. The locks were changed on the door. And uh, one of the brothers actually had the, the church building put into his name about a year and a half earlier so that they could get a loan on the building so that they could do some renovations that really needed to happen. And he decided he would put his name on it so that he would be, uh, you know, at, at fault if the church were to default on the loan and so forth. And he was part of the problem at the church. And they actually, he, he actually locked the doors and went inside and had worship with his family and didn't let the rest of the church in. He said, well, I guess I, I, guess I don't have a church to preach at anymore. You know, where you, can pre- you know where I can preach? And I said, yeah, come with me to Wilson Sunday. So he came and preached with me at Wilson. But... You laugh at the church at Dallas, but that problem happens all the time. I mean, I, I could probably sit here and tell you stories until the afternoon service about churches that split over absolutely ridiculous things. I told you the story about the church that disagreed on the color that the pews need to be, and so what they decided was they would have one side that's green pews and one side that's red pews, and the green pew people sat on the green pews, and the red pew people sat on the red pews. Okay, so church fights are almost ubiquitous. They always happen. Hopefully, they don't get to the point of, of Christians not acting like Christians. But, you know, sometimes, sometimes we don't do a very good job of holding up to the name that we claim. Anyways, in Acts chapter 6, the same thing is happening. Okay, Almost the same thing that happened in Dallas in the 1970s is happening in Jerusalem and around A.D. 30, somewhere around in there. And um, let's just read the passage, okay? Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men, of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, 
These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Almost the same problem, except in AD 30, when the church in Jerusalem has this problem, it's, it's that it isn't a boy and an elder sitting next to each other. It's a Greek-speaking Christian and a Hebrew-speaking, or Aramaic-speaking Christian. Now, they're both Jews. They've both spent some time in the Jewish religion, but sometimes people over the years would decide that they wanted to follow God, the God of the, the Torah, the God of Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and so forth, and so they would become a proselyte. What it basically means is they became Jews even though they weren't born Jews. And so those people primarily spoke Greek. But then you had the people who had grown up in the Jewish religion and they spoke Aramaic or Hebrew. Hebrew and Aramaic are so close that they're almost the same religion, but the religion that, that was most prominent was, was this dialect almost called, called Aramaic. So these two start fighting. And what happens is that the church is on the brink of a split. Because you see, anytime you see two groups of people in the church that are identifying themselves as this, I am a Hellenist and I am a Hebrew, you're about to have a church split. You can see it. It happened about a hundred years ago in the churches of Christ in America when people said, well, I am against this and I am not against this and so now we will have congregations a half mile apart that believe the same doctrine but they disagree on this one thing and they have isolated themselves into these groups and they will not spend time with one another. they will not fellowship one another the same thing is about to happen in Jerusalem you're about to have a Hellenist a Greek speaking church of Christ and a Hebrew speaking church of Christ and that's not going to happen on, on the Apostles' Watch. Now, um, we're going to go through this section here in just a second, but I, I wanted to tell you, um, today we're going to do an old-school alliterated sermon because Gus called me out about two weeks ago and said I never preach alliterated sermons. And so, guess what? You're getting an alliterated sermon. So everything's going to start with H this morning, okay? So, let's look back at Acts chapter 6, verse, um, six, verse 1, Okay? When you have this kind of fighting in the church, and you have um, these, these factions that are about to split, they're on the brink of splitting. Number one, other Christians become hated. Now, you know, we kind of, we kind of skirt around the, the aspect of, you know, Jesus said, if you don't hate your, your father and your mother and your brothers and sisters... Then, then you can't follow me. And we, we kind of say, well, that means that you'd love less. But what it really means is, if it comes to it, I will hate them the same way that God hates them. If a person is, is willfully d- defying the laws of God, the psalmist over and over and over again says God hates that. That God hates that person. It doesn't mean that he wants him to go to hell. It doesn't mean that he hates him to the point that he wants him to die or anything else. What it means is, He despises the kind of person that that person has now put themselves in. The kind of person that that person has now made themselves into. He still wants them to go to heaven. He still loves them. 
But he hates that type of person. Well, in Acts chapter 6, they're starting to hate one another. They're starting to resist one, resent one another. Nothing, absolutely nothing, is a better tool for Satan than resentment in the church. There are two times that the word resentment is used in the New International Version in the book of Job. That's Job chapter 5, verse 2. Resentment kills a fool and envy slays the simple. And Job chapter 36, verse 13. The godless in heart harbor resentment. There's no better tool for Satan to destroy a church than resentment. Listen, he's got a lot of tools in his tool belt. He can do pretty much anything he wants to do on this earth because God's allowed him to do it. doesn't mean that he's more powerful than anyways. Beside the point, Satan's got a lot of tools. But the best tool that he can ever have is there for there to be resentment and, and hatred and factions in, in a congregation. To the point that that congregation then, then splits. Some, someone once said that hatred never failed to destroy the man who hated. So let's ask this. How... How could they stop what's happening in Acts chapter 6? How do they stop it? Now, we know how they stopped it, but, but what's one way that they could stop it? Well, let's go back to that church in Dallas, and let's try to put ourselves into the position of that elder who gets upset. Okay? Something happened before that, right? It, no one gets that upset that quickly over something so trivial. Something had to have happened before that. And I'm going to say that I can, I can almost see what happened. And that is, this elder, this person who's in charge, has been working and leading and, and striving and working his fingers to the bone for this church. And he starts to feel like no one really cares. And then he goes to a fellowship meal and he feels slighted. That's the real problem. Now, in Acts chapter 6, that same problem is happening. They're not upset because one group feels like their, their, elder, their elderly women, their widows, are being neglected. They're upset because they feel like they're isolated from the rest of the Christians because they're Hellenists. They're proselytes. They didn't grow up as Jews. When they became older, they realized that they wanted to follow the God of the Bible, and so they became Jews, and so they're somewhat isolated. And so they feel isolated. They feel like no one really pays attention to them all that much. And then they notice that they, that they might have been slighted, even though chances are they probably weren't. Because, you see, the, pers- the people who's working these things, who's doing this, the, the implication of Acts 6, verses 1 through down to you know, the rest of the section, is, is that the apostles are doing this at this moment. And the apostles aren't trying to slight them. They just accidentally or mistakenly or something else missed someone. Or maybe they, they gave them a little bit less than they gave the rest of them. Whatever the reason is, it's not just because they felt like their widows weren't, were being neglected. It's because they feel like they're isolated and then they see that their widows are somehow being neglected and that sets them off. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 7 says, Love bears all things, 
believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. The way that they can fix this problem before it ever boils over in Acts 6.1 is to start looking for opportunities to see the good in their fellow Christians. To believe that their fellow Christians are actually loving them and caring for them, even though they may feel slighted at one point or another, a Christian, a Christian doesn't focus on the negatives, they focus on the positive. Love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. A, a loving Christian is going to look at, at the people around them and say, I want to find the positive in this. They're not going to focus on the negative. They're going to try their very best to focus on the positive. But when you don't do that and you feel like you're neglected and you feel like you're outcast and you feel like you're on the fringes, and then you notice some negative in some way, then what happens is exactly what happened in Acts 6.1. There arises, let's just go back and read it. In those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. But this, isn't, this doesn't just happen when unanimously across the board, all the Hellenists at the exact same time realize what has happened and they all at the exact same time at the moment that they realize it go to the apostles and bring this problem up see what happened was the hellenists one of them saw it and the other one said hey do you notice that 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 jewish widow yesterday got more food than than ours did yeah i did notice that i wonder what's up with that i don't know it's fishy to me. Something's up. And then, the, and then a few weeks later, or a few days later, that same guy that started it goes to another guy and says, Hey, um, have you noticed that, uh, that it seems like Peter's giving the, the, the Hebrew widows a little bit more? You know, Peter grew up as a Hebrew. Maybe he just doesn't like proselytes. I don't know. I don't know. It's strange, isn't it? It's kind of fishy. Something's up. And he goes on. You see, what happened, this, this didn't just, just pop up automatically. This has been happening, this, this has been going on and been gossiped around and the, the Hellenists had bred this resentment within themselves that could have been fixed quickly had, had that one guy or those two guys or however many it was brought it up and said, hey, listen, can we talk about this? It seems like this is happening, and I, don't, I, I really, want to, really want to see the good in my fellow brethren, and I just want to know if this is real or if I'm just, if I'm just seeing this. But you see, gossip is when you discuss a negative with someone who cannot directly fix the problem. If I see a problem and I discuss it with literally anyone who cannot directly affect the outcome of that problem, I've gossiped. Period. There's no way around it. It's straight up gossip. Now, most of the time when you have a situation like that, the only person that can fix it is the person that you're actually gossiping about. If those men, those Hellenist men, 
had gone directly to the apostles and said, listen, we, we saw this. We don't know. We just want to check and see if it, everything's okay. Then it would have stopped right there. However, they took a negative. They discussed it amongst themselves. Instead of the people that could directly affect the problem, affect the situation, they, they took and they took a negative and gossiped about it and didn't go to the people that could fix the problem. And then it came to the point where the church is about to split. Number one, when, when churches do this, Christians begin, become hatred, hated. Number two, look at verses two through four. The twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good report, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Number two, the gospel is hindered when churches begin to do this. Number one, Christians become hated. Number two, the gospel is hindered. There was once a, there's, a, there's an old story. Uh, it's, it's definitely an illustration. This never actually happened. But there's, a, there's an old uh, preacher's story about a man gets shipwrecked on an island, and he's there for two or three years. And uh, eventually, rescuers come and, and find him. And they notice when he's, when he's getting on the boat that, that there are three huts built on the, on the beach. And they say, what are the three huts for? And the guy says, well, that one's my house. That's where I lived and cooked my food and, and slept and everything else. And, and I'm a Christian, so I needed a place. I felt like I needed a place that was special to worship. And so I built my church building next to it. Oh, that's... That's really great. Your, your devotion is really great. Uh, what's the third one? Well, the third one is our other church because we had a church split. He's the only guy on the island. You get, it's a joke. Anyways, you, you'll get it tomorrow and you'll text me and say it was funny. Okay, so the gospel is hindered when things like this start to happen. Those apostles, they're doing this job. However... In the eyes of the Hellenists, the most important thing that the church can ever do, the preaching of the gospel, the most important thing that the church can ever sustain and, and, and build up, the preaching of the gospel, needs to stop so that these apostles who have lived three years with Jesus Christ, who have been trained by the Holy Spirit and have miraculous powers, and, and so much so that they could pass those miraculous powers on by the laying on of hands to other people. Those people, chosen by the divine creator of the universe to proclaim the good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, need to stop doing that and start making lunches. Because we feel like we've been slighted, and so you need to make us feel comfortable. That's the same problem that the book of Galatians is all about, this, this problem of comfortable. Uh, and I heard one time, it's, it's the preacher, you know, any preacher's job, any sermon needs to, it needs to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. See, they, the gospel was being hindered because these people just wanted the, the apostles to focus on things that had nothing to do with the preaching of the gospel. And so they... They stand up and they say, it's not right. It's not pleasing to God and to you for this to happen. Because 
You see, it's not pleasing to God because, well, frankly, God is more involved, more more interested in people hearing about the good news of Jesus Christ than he is about, about people's well-being being taken care of. He wants us to be taken care of. His providence is for everyone. He wants Christians to take care of people. But the most important thing is to teach them the gospel. And it's not pleasing, it's not right for, to, to, the, to the Christians because they feel like it's not being done effectively. And so the apostles say, well, maybe, maybe what we need to do so that, so that you feel like it's being done effectively and so that we're actually fulfilling what we're supposed to be doing, maybe we need to set someone over this. Maybe this needs to be something that someone else takes control of so that we can focus on what we're supposed to be focusing on. So that's what happens when the church fights. The Christians are hated and the gospel is hindered. Now, let's move on to the, to the solution to the problem. Okay, verse number 5. When they said this, uh, sorry, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. Now, don't hear this as the apostles are saying that this is beneath them. It's, that's not true. Up until this point, the apostles had been doing this work. But the thing is, now the job is heavier. The job is bigger. The job needs to be completed. And so, it's not beneath them. They've been doing it. It's just, it's something secondary to what they need to be focusing on, okay? So, what they said pleased the whole gathering... And they chose Stephen, a man of full of faith and the Holy Spirit, Philip. Stephen and Philip, by the way, are the only two that you ever read about again. Stephen goes on to be uh, murdered in Acts chapter 7. We'll, we'll talk about that next week. And then Philip goes, and, and the only other time we hear about him is when he's preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch. And then Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Permenus, Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So the people gather these seven men. Now, what you'll notice is some of those names are Hebrew names and some of those names are Greek names. In fact, the last one, Nicholas, is mentioned as a proselyte of Antioch. He's not even from Jerusalem. He's not a proselyte from Jerusalem. He's a proselyte from north of Jerusalem. So, the problem is that the gospel is being hindered and Christians are being hated and the church is fighting and it's about to split. But the solution is let's get everyone involved and let's not just say we're going to pick this group or this group to be in charge. You know, the, the fight is that the Hellenists aren't getting enough food so we're going to let the Hellenists decide how much food everyone gets. That's not good because then what happens when the Hellenists decide that... The Hebrews don't need as much food. Then we've got the same problem 15 years down the road and we didn't ever know it. We never saw it coming because we took the group that was having the issue and we let them make all of the decisions. In Romans chapter 14, the the Apostle Paul discusses the problem of, of Christians having issues of the conscience that would cause them to not be able to do something that is, by the nature of the gospel, perfectly permittable for Christians to do. And the illustration that he uses in Romans 14 is the buying and eating of food that was once designated and offered and sacrificed to idols. 
You see, you could go to the meat market and you could buy meat that had been offered to the idols in any of your cities. And he says, if this is the case, and if this Christian has a problem with this, one, if you are inviting a Christian over to your house, don't tell them where you got the meat, because they may have a problem with it. And number two, if you have a problem with eating meat that's been offered to idols, and Ron does invite you over to, your, to his house, don't ask him where he got the meat. There's no reason in picking a church fight for no reason. So, Back to Acts chapter 6, the same thing is happening. They're not just going to place the group that's having all the problems and let them make the decision. What, what they say is, let's all, united, connected, together, loving each other, building one another up, let's all fix this problem together. And let's make sure that everyone's scruples and everyone's opinions and everyone's taken care of to the best of our ability. Now, does that mean that the, the old, old Jim Bob, who, uh, who's the Hellenist that started all the gossip in the first place, he, you know, you know the, the Hellenists, they, they're used to eating a little more than everybody else. You know, they're used to eating this food and it's more expensive. And, you know, we need to, we need to make sure that, that they're taking care of the way that they want and they're taking... No, what they're doing is they're, they're equally distributing everything. They're not allowing one person or one faction or one group to decide the actions of the rest of the collective. They're all connected and in unity. They're going to decide this together. So, number one, when the church fights like this, other Christians are hatred, hated. Number two, the gospel is hindered. But when the church starts to fix this problem, actual healing comes. Not... Not some, not some fly in the bucket, it's going to be okay for five years problem, healing. But this is actual healing. Where everyone comes together on equal playing fields and they start making sure that these people are taken care of. And then number two, when the church unites and starts fixing its problems and they stop gossiping and they stop fighting amongst themselves and they stop thinking that they are more important than the other group of people and, and the factions begin to break down, then actual hearts are changed. Look at verse number 7. Why is verse chapter 5 included in the Scriptures? Specifically, the first part of Acts 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. Because the eyes of the people of Jerusalem are starting to be fixed on the Christians. Now, this Christian movement is so big... It's, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 20% of the actual population of the city of Jerusalem at the time. It's so big that people are starting to notice. And the reason why Ananias and Sapphira are, are punished the way that they are by, by God is because people are starting to notice. And people need to realize that the Christians are people who, who stand up for what is right. They keep their word. They're people who follow a God that is not dead, but that is active, and that will actually affect the way in which they live. Fast forward to chapter 6. Why is this included in Scripture? Because the same thing. Because people are starting to notice. In, 1970s, in the 1970s, that church split in Dallas was not a, not a silent thing. 
all of the newspapers, all of the TV stations, everyone was focused on this fight. There were, there were media representatives outside the courtroom at the proceedings where the judge threw it out of, out of court. Now, I know that that was a denominational group, and I, and I understand that the, the problems with denominationalism. However, however, a person who is on the fence about religion watches as those people claiming Christianity are not in any way close to living out what a real Christian is. And then a member of the church walks up to them the next week and says, hey, I'd like to invite you to church. And I, I go to the Dallas Church of... I don't know if there is a Dallas Church of Christ. I go to the Dallas Church of Christ. I'd like to invite you. I don't want to have anything to do with Christianity. Have you seen the ridiculousness that's going on downtown at the courthouse? You see, the reason why Acts 6 is included is to give us a picture of what will happen when Christians start to faction themselves and start fighting amongst themselves and so forth. Especially when it's real Christians. Because a faithful church that is torn up in controversy cannot succeed. But a faithful church that worships correctly and lives correctly. Because a lot of the times we, we call faithfulness just, do you sit in a pew once a week? Yes, then you're faithful. I'm sorry, that's not even close to the definition of the biblical faithfulness that I can find in the New Testament. However, when a faithful church worshiping faithfully and living faithfully starts to unite and fix their problems and gather together and love one another and show one another and actually heal the problem, then, last but not least, hearts are changed. Verse number 7. And the word of God continued to increase. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I just want to focus very quickly, and then, then I'll leave it to you, but I want to focus on that last statement. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Who cares if there were priests that were obedient to the faith? There are thousands upon thousands of Christians at this point. There are tax collectors. There are fishermen. There are contractors. There are builders. There are CPAs. There are teachers. There are nurses. There are, there, there's every, it seems like everyone in the entire city of Jerusalem is, is, is becoming Christians. Who cares if the priests have become Christians? Because of what just happened. You see, in the Old Testament, the priests were the ones that were charged with taking care of the poor and the afflicted. And the priests have been hearing about Christianity for a long time, haven't they? For years at this point. They hear Jesus teaching in the synagogues, and the apostles preaching on the, on the temple grounds. Every priest in the entire city of Jerusalem knows what happened about a year earlier at this point when Jesus was taken before Pilate and he was crucified. Every, no priest, listen, y'all may not know this, but, uh, but usually, usually preachers are pretty connected. There's really not a lot that we don't know that's happening at the other churches because preachers talk a lot. We don't gossip, although some of us do. But we talk a lot. Hey, brother, how, how's it going? Good. What you running these days? 
That means how many people are sitting in a pew on Sunday because somehow that means that you're faithful. Anyways, what you running these days? What, how how y'all doing over down there? You need any help? You need any help means are you having any problems that I can know about? Anyways, no priest in the city of Jerusalem doesn't know Christianity. They've heard the arguments. They've listened to the theological principles of the Old Testament and why Jesus is the fulfillment. Why now in Acts 6 do they start obeying the gospel? Because they saw that it's not just a small selected group of Christians that are taking care of the poor, but they saw real Christians being real Christians, doing real Christian work, and taking care of the collective. And everyone is working together in unity. The priests obeyed the gospel, not because of a theological argument, not because someone sat down and walked them through the Old Testament and made syllogisms and all the other things. Those priests obeyed the gospel because they saw Christians acting like Christians. People can obey the gospel simply because they see Christians acting like Christians. Yeah, they need the gospel. They need to be taught the gospel and so forth. But these guys knew it. They had heard all the arguments before. And they hadn't obeyed the gospel yet. Why? They needed to see it actually in action. Now, Acts 6 stops what could have probably stopped Christianity altogether. But instead, they unite, they get to work. And then the rest of Acts chapter 6 and chapter 7, Stephen um, preaches one of those moving sermons, which we'll cover next week. But the reason why that first passage in Acts 6 is, is even included in the gospel, in the New Testament, is because that can happen in just about any church. Just about any church. Preachers always say that you are one church fight from shutting down. You are one church fight from, from splitting. And the whole reason why it happened was because Christians started gossiping, started harboring resentment in their hearts for other people about something that was probably not even real. But they perceived it as real, and they didn't fix it when it popped up, and it bred itself into this cancer that almost destroyed the church of Christ. Thankfully, the apostles knew what they were doing, they happened to have on their side a guy named the Holy Spirit who probably walked them through that a little bit. But it can happen to anyone. If you need to become a Christian this morning, we're going to stand and Gary's going to lead us in a song of encouragement and you can let us know while we do that. But listen to me. You're going to have to obey the gospel. Maybe you're obeying the gospel because you've seen Christians acting like Christians. Maybe because... You've looked at the scriptures and you understand the concepts and you understand the theological arguments and, and you just want to follow that. But I will tell you this, th those of you who are Christians, if people see you acting in ways that are not consistent with the gospel, they will not obey the gospel. They just won't do it. A fake Christian never, never, never makes a real one. If you need to become a Christian this morning, we're going to stand.